This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Today's show is sponsored by Blue Apron. For less than $10 per meal, Blue Apron delivers the fresh ingredients you need to create home-cooked meals. Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals for free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash badchristian. Today's show is also sponsored by ZipRecruiter. Are you hiring? Do you know where to find the perfect candidate? ZipRecruiter finds candidates in any city or industry nationwide. Right now, listeners can post jobs for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash first. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash first. All right. And finally, our show is sponsored by Stamps.com. Buy your postage online under a fraction of the price without ever having to leave your home. Sign up today at Stamps.com and use the promo code BADCHRISTIAN to receive a four-week trial plus a special bonus offer valued at $110 that includes a postage and digital scale. That's promo code BADCHRISTIAN to receive your four-week trial and bonus offer today. You are now entering the Bad Christian Podcast. Three, two, one, Fat Pastor Joey Spinson. When you're fat and you just want to have your own podcast and talk about the Lord. Yes, I am fat and I'm going to admit it. Uh, I'm going to admit I'm fat. <laughs> because P-H-A-T. the Holy Spirit told me to admit I'm fat. P-H-A-T. So I'm going to admit P-H-A-T. I'm fat. Yeah. Okay. Hey, bad Christian podcast. So yeah, the, that's right. it's called actually it's called the BC Pod or BC Podcast, and we've been saying bad Christian for a while, but clearly it's it's evolved and taken on new meaning. We're essentially now we're just a, the straight up the bashing church podcast. Yeah, that's, right. that's what it always yeah. stood for. Big Finally, church busters. Yeah. Or church, now, church busters. Now we can be honest. Busting church, church bashing busters. church, <laughs> belittling the church uh, podcast. That's what we're here for. Right? So we're at the Christmas party back in December, and I'm talking to Zach, Zach Bolin, Matt Johnson, their spouses. And I, I'm super curious to talk to other people about Mars Hill. You know, Priscilla and I went there for a few months, but listened to the sermons a lot. Matt, my Lord, uh, went there for years. Toby worked there. Yeah. Yeah, I was at, let's let's make sure people understand the whole back because we're going to do this episode here on Mars Hill. But yeah, Mars Hill is where I went to church where we started going about 2005 or sooner than that and went to till 2013 or, or or something like that. And then Toby was there, had gone at that point and then had come back and worked there on staff. And Joe, you and Priscilla lived in Seattle for a little while and and attended yep. Mars Hill. When was that? What year was that? Uh 04 no, 05, winter yep. of 05. Yep. Yeah, I worked yeah. there. I was at the West Seattle campus for yeah. a year. So yeah. here I am talking to these uh, guys and girls, and it's it's crazy. It's like the look in their eye. And I'm not trying to be dramatic. It's not like they start crying or anything, but there is real stuff in this conversation for them. It's not just casual chit-chat. They're just it's, – it's permanently affected them. And so it just popped in my head. I was just like, man, with Pastor With No Answers, would y'all ever be cool with just coming on and telling some of y'all's stories? And I was thinking about doing a one-episode – uh, collaboration of little five minute bits from people that went to Mars Hill, and that's just like Joey. You I died can't laughing do when this. you said that. I was like, and, you're gonna uh, talk to these people that this is the most heart wrenching, <laughs> difficult thing they've ever gone through, and you're gonna just try and get a five minute little bit. Like, what do you want them to say? This bad thing happened. Ha ha ha. Move on. All right, next interview, and do that for an hour. I was like, Joey, this get, is, makes no sense. I was gonna have some good transitional music from person to person. I mean, good lord. So Matt started talking. Uh, uh, you know, obviously giving me some good <laughs> advice, like, 
you know, doing full interviews. And then one thing led to the next. And I mean, we're, we're at least thinking about what a big project could be when it comes to releasing some form of, you know, all these interviews and uh, like a narration of people in Mars Hill, how it affected them and everything. But here, so, so I've done three of these so far and one of them you're about to hear uh, Matt, this, this, this girl's husband actually did Matt and Bridget's premarital counseling. He was close to, to both of them. But with the interviews I've done so far, this this is what irritates the hell out of me. And that is that the folks that I'm talking to are very respectable people. They were working very close to Driscoll. They're elders, they're, te- they're teachers, they're leaders, and they're very eloquent and smart. And yet big time pastors in America have encouraged Driscoll to go about his business starting another church, and they haven't talked to a daggum right. one yeah. of these people let, who were let's there be a little the more whole specific time. There, if you don't mind. me off. So, for instance, Perry Noble is one of those. We sat here on this podcast, and I told Perry Noble, um, he said, maybe, did Mark hurt people? Did bad things happen? I, maybe. I don't know. But here's what I do know. And then back to defending him and right. the church oh. and the way all these things go. And, of course, let me say, I'm kidding about bashing the church. And in the regard that I'm not kidding about it, I take it very seriously because it's very important to tell the truth. So to clear that up. But so Perry Noble himself um, backed down totally to the idea that would would he listen to somebody like Jen Schmidt, who we're about to hear from. This stuff's very powerful. It's very personal. And there's dozens, if not hundreds of people that have stories like this. And it's very important to be heard. There's a weird thing going on where the pe- people that tend to be the victims or the one that have the accusations or the things done to them are feel like it's not good to talk about because they immediately get labeled as bad people or trying to yeah. be haters <laughs> and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And I'll go, I'll tell you further how big this problem is. I won't name a name on this one. I did Perry Noble because it was right here on the show. There's another pastor, very, very large pastor who was asked to uh, vouch for or be on a team of accountability for Mark Driscoll and his new thing. And um, somebody said, Matt, maybe you should connect with him and and tell him what you think and what you know, and maybe that would help him decide, does he want to be a, on the accountability board for Mark Driscoll or whatever? I said, yeah, okay. And I wrote him an email, or he asked. I mean, he was asking around, I guess. And I, I wrote him an email said, please let me connect you with five or six people that I know. Now, I'm not even going to make any claims myself. Let me connect you with five or six people that I know and trust the most in the whole world and who they are and let them tell you what they have to say and why this is a dangerous thing and what the problems really are here. That pastor declined. He did not hear any of the yeah. stories. He did not write me back, even though he had written me in the first place. And, and why? It, it, like I, That's what I don't understand. That's a huge why? problem. Why? Well, the well, the problem is pastors are protecting each other because I think they're a little bit nervous about their own jobs and what it might mean to have that much actual. We we throw around this word transparent. Real transparency is very scary, mm-hmm. and this yeah. is why I like what we're doing here and, and why I appreciate it. And Joey, I'm so happy you got the ball yeah. rolling on this because I didn't even know. I was like, is this played out? And then you know, I don't want to just be labeled as a. Uh, podcast that always talks about mars hill and how bad mark driscoll is what i really think we're doing here giving the church a voice that's right. instead exactly. of the yeah. instead of the dude in the pulpit maybe let the church that's actually right. talk exactly. for just a little exactly. bit and, and, I and, and zero, you can hear some real stuff and i have zero absolutely zero ears for anyone that says well you shouldn't be doing this because it's divisive come on mark driscoll he started his church leave him alone man god's forgiven him zero ears to hear that zero understanding. I'm not even listening because of what Toby just said. 
Mark Driscoll's the only one that gets to speak for Mars Hill, right? A church that people work their asses off to to do ministry and it affected people, and then Driscoll gets to walk away from it and right. be the only one yeah. that talks about it. Does anybody care? Actually, do these pastors actually care about the flock? Do they actually, right. you know, they, they throw around these words that, you know, I'm here, I'm the shepherd and God's really given me this over this congregation. I'm supposed to watch out. Wait a minute. The church is global. Mm-hmm. Let, let's, let's really listen to people. Otherwise we are making ourselves proving the point of how hip, hypocritical we are and how silly we are. When yeah. you hear this story, like with, with Jen's here, you get to hear a real person saying, man, this is what happened yeah. to me. And these, why would you immediately yeah. call bullshit on that? You can't. It's right. a real person. And these so why, and these people are actually mourning not only the loss of the church, but the loss of the relationship with the Driscolls. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, they're exactly. mourning this. They're not. They would have loved for Driscoll to stay. They wanted exactly. Mark Hill to succeed. These are. This was the church. Yeah. These right. people wanted it to happen. They were giving their time, their money. Everything, yeah. their families. Yeah. It's just it's uh, it's overwhelming that people would close off their ears and just hear one or the give guy the benefit the of the doubt to the powerful. It doesn't matter if that's exactly. Trump or Driscoll or anybody else. When you give the benefit of the doubt to the person in power, you got to really be careful with that. You just have to really be careful with that. Uh, you know, it, it, you just really do, and that doesn't need that much explanation if you just think about it. You give the yeah. benefit and, of the doubt and, always to the cop, always to the person in a power, the person, you know, that's just, we know where that goes. It's always going to be a problem. And this is another reason why this is very important um, is these stories exist and there's no place to really put them out. And again, I'm not going to say how awesome this podcast is, but there's beginning to be more places where you could do stuff like a podcast where somebody can tell a story that's at length and get there and tell the truth and be uh, in, in a place that kind of feels safe. I'm very excited. And I've always been upset that people close to the Mars Hill thing, for instance, and it serves as a prototype for, I know there's a million more churches with the exact same problems. That's partly why it's important. But almost everybody's afraid to talk for being labeled or not having a safe place to do it or doesn't work in a two minute YouTube video, or I'm not the most dynamic speaker like the preacher is, but I would like to tell what's going on or from my point of view. And it's just, it's never been that safe before. I'm glad that people are waking up to that and being willing to do it. So all we can do is try to steward that conversation and let somebody like Jen talk. And I have a ton of respect for Jen. She's one of the most, her and her husband Phil are some of the most important uh, Christians in my life that I respect and trust the most of anybody. So that's me vouching for them, but it's, it's undeniable. There's no care. There's no issue with almost any of these people that we know or could talk to or will talk to. There's no character issue with them that it, there just isn't there. There's no, no reasonable, um, well, any, any character issue that they, them or think they have something to gain. It's just not right. true at all. Well, any character issue they have, she's talking about, right. <laughs> she's right. not hiding. She acknowledges it. She's the ones that she has. That's exactly. right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, well, for for our listeners that may be hearing this and you have your own Mars Hill story, we do have an email that you can uh, send your story and put, you know potentially we'll want to interview, but you know, maybe not. But anyway, it's mhstories at badchristian dot com. Mm-hmm. So if you have something that you want to talk about, please reach out to us. We'd love to hear. <laughs> I want to I want to tell y'all one when, when we're talking about the threat of these things. I have one more story for y'all. When we're talking about the threat of what it means to have real transparency come against the power structure of church. A good example yeah. of that is is a good friend of ours, uh, and I don't know if y'all know this or not, but a good friend of ours that does public speaking and consulting was in a meeting at a conference <laughs> of uh, evangelical leaders. And I'm telling you, the people in this room, this guy's invited to speak, paid to speak, and he was in this room 
closed meeting at the conference with a very small number of very important people, heads of large ministry. I can't name the names because it's not my story to tell here, but uh, <laughs> large ministry organizations, very, very brand names that you are very familiar with. The head of that and a few pastors that you 100% would know their name, people like that. And they're talking about the church and how things are going and what the threats are to Christianity. And one of the things they were discussing was how all these the, some of the problems we have out there is all these people trying to be relevant to reach people and reach their people by by sacrificing their morals and stuff like that just to get people to listen to them and 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 stuff like that and they're thus sacrificing the gospel just to try to get more numbers for instance there's the bad Christian podcast we came up right there in the meeting saying um, that that's what, what we were doing and then this buddy that vouches for us like says hey hang on a second do you know what that podcast is do you know what they're actually trying to do is that's kind of the opposite of what they're trying to do. They're trying to say the hard things that are true to really, you know, make a difference and and help the church do a better <laughs> job so it could, it could be understood, you know, and, and the guy took a minute to try to explain that to these people who had just heard whatever, who we are. I don't know what they thought, but they see us as a threat, I love an what actual he threat. To. And so then the, those people have to respect him that, and, and he goes, huh? Okay, well, I, you know, I didn't know that, but I mean, the language, though. <laughs> then that, that's it. <laughs> so, okay. But just to the let language, you know, though, that's, dropped, the, that's the state the mic of Christianity. But yeah. <laughs> but yeah, there's the language thing. So, you know, anyway. Anyway, Joe, you've done a great job with this interview. It's a one-on-one oh, thing. thanks, man. And we don't have that specific of plans, what we're going to do with all these stories and interviews. But man, if people are willing to start talking, I'm willing to start listening. And then we'll decide, right. it, you know, what would be overkill or if there's a way we could curate or put these somewhere. We'll, we'll figure out what to do with them later. But anybody that wants to talk about Mars Hill or similar things where you were the one that was victimized or abused or, or things like that. If anybody wants to talk transparently and in detail on the record or not, we'll listen. That's what we're going to do. That's what I'm saying. Yep. Get your tissue nice. box for those of you that did you are have, a did you have a Did you have an email for people to send if they do have stuff they want to talk about? mhstories at badchristian.com. Okay. That's nice. MH for Mars Hill stories at badchristian.com. Okay. So we're going to drop in here with Jen and Joey's interview with Jen Smith on he did on Pastor with No Answers, his podcast. Jen is the husband of Phil Smith, who was on staff there at Mars Hill from since '96. They had the first child born in Mars Hill Church was theirs. Um, I know them very well. They did our premarital. Uh, I trust them very much and very thankful for her time and her candor on on this interview. And I hope you guys enjoy it too. All right, so we're here with Jennifer Smith, and did I say that correctly? Yes, you did. And Jen is fine. All right, Jen. And um, yeah, Jen, thanks for sharing some of your time with us and um, diving into, I'm sure, a lot of painful things. And and that that's kind of, I, I want to start with your pain. How about that? Now, uh-huh. you know, what what kind of emotions at this point happen in your mind and in your heart when you when you hear Mars Hill Church or you uh-huh. hear Mark Driscoll? Uh, you know, wh- how do you process that? Well, like, um, the first word I think that jumps to mind is anxious, Yeah, um, is raw, is, uh, passionate is like, um, and then I think a little bit of shame actually, because I feel like I should be done. Um, it was going on. So, so may will be three years since Phil was fired and our family was kicked out of the church. Um, 
and uh, so shame actually is a is is also a predominant emotion because have um just a real um conflicting feelings about I should be over this and yet every single time without fail when we are in a group of people unless they are complete strangers somehow Marcel Church comes up um we you know there's some comrades that we really went through war with that we purposefully talk about it with and then it comes up tangentially in we're at an, our Anglican church and someone notices that we know somebody and it, it's just, we can't escape it. Yeah. So I guess I feel also like, um, it's time to, um, heal. I, I've done a lot of healing in my heart, but yeah. it is time to, um, contribute in whatever way I can to a bigger conversation and right. be honest right. without, um, in a dignified way. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Now what, what in your opinion, um, would have hold held you back this time six months ago. Like if someone said, "Hey, you need to talk about this," what what would be your response to that as to why you you weren't ready? Uh fear. Yeah, fear, and and also, you know, my husband and I are very different people, and he has a different take on on what how he needs to and wants to process this. So honestly, some healing um, in terms of just my own. Um, sense of self and right. that I can make a different decision. I can be on a different timeline as my husband. And that was, I, I am a separate individual. I'm a, a female with a voice and I don't need his permission. Right. Like, in fact, we were just, we were married almost 24 years ago. We were actually cringing at the fact that we had that phrase um, where I said to him, I will obey him. Right. And we kind of laugh about that now. There's just, um, I probably will refer refer to my therapist a lot. Um, that six months ago, um, I was just beginning to realize it was okay to talk about myself and be honest and have a voice. Right. I mean, your, your husband has given you permission. He's in the room guarding over all your words, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Well, Well, give us, give us a little cliff notes version of just how you guys, got involved at Mars Hill and just the, the progression of him working there and then, then how everything crumbled. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I will attempt to keep it concise because a 20, you know, an 18 plus year story is, is tough. We were newly married in, um, 92, 90, uh, we were going to Antioch Bible church and we had heard of Driscoll. We hadn't met him, but And we heard with through mutual friends of a church plant um, that this Mars Hill thing was happening. We didn't feel totally at home at Antioch, so we decided to give it a shot. So spring of 96, yeah. uh, we started attending. Um, we're drawn in by Mark. We're drawn in by the vision. We're drawn in by something different. Um, this is literally, what, a couple months after it started? Didn't 90, wasn't it 96 when Mars Hill was birthed? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So this is like six months or so prior to that. Okay. Gotcha. Um, I was, I was pregnant with our first, um, kid and they met up in this, um, really hot, um, attic room. And yeah. I honestly couldn't even go half the time. Cause so Phil was there. We were feeling like we were going to be a part of this. Um, Marcella had its first official launch service in October of 96. Yeah. And our first child then was born November of 96. Wow. So he carried for the 18 years that we were there. Um, there's a picture of him in one of Driscoll's books, a picture of our family. He was the first baby born at Marso. Wow. And that was 
um, yeah, both. Yeah. For good and for bad. That's what he was. So, so you're, you're speaking of a perspective of, of someone who was actually very close to Mark Driscoll and the Driscoll family, I'm assuming. Yeah. Me, yeah, me, me closer to grace than Bill Mark, but, and our kids were very close. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So, um, yeah. So I honestly, those, those first few years, probably I was kind of sketching out a timeline this morning cause there's so much, but, yeah. um, 97 through about 2006, we're involved at one point, um, and loving it really. I mean, we had deep friendships and a, a wonderful sense of community and honesty. And it, it was really a special, special time. Yeah. And I've, um, was so much good all the way through. There were certainly was, was good, but we, um, were raising kids. We were, we were the, also the oldest couple at Mars Hill for yeah. quite a while. So there was a lot that went on that we were kind of just raising our family. At one point, Mark said, Hey, I really am. I'm really, um, needing some elders. And so on the way home from church, I'm like, well, Phil, what do you, what do you think? <laughs> and as I was reflecting on it this morning, I realized what's actually true is that I wanted to be an elder. I yeah. wanted, I'm a visionary and I wanted to somehow help contribute and grow and lead it. And I knew as a woman, I couldn't do that. Right. So I pushed Phil and he's like, no way, I'm, I'm not interested. Several years later, um, God put on his heart probably a a year before to consider being an elder. And he didn't speak to me or anyone of it for six months. And then, um, had another elder kind of encouraged him, pushed him along and he really, he just couldn't shake it. And Phil's not that kind of guy. I'm impulsive. He's careful. Um, entered the, so became, you know, at Mars Hill, it was always, you know, you've got to nominate yourself. You've got to feel called. And we train the called, not, call the trained. Right. Um, so he did four or five months of one, uh, one-on-one and in a small group with Driscoll, just listening to Driscoll talk. And, um, and then he was installed as an elder. That was like 2006. Yeah. So we were enjoying it. That was great. We had some major, um, marriage, uh, work that needed to be done. We sat down with one of the elders in his elder assessment and and I had a past, a really yeah. intense past. Phil didn't. Um, and anytime I wanted him to talk about it, he he was like, yeah, Jen, I, I love you anyway. I forgive you. And I'm like, right. you don't even know what you're forgiving me right. for. So confronted by an elder and and really some amazing stuff in our marriage uh, that happened. Uh, he, he was about the same time installed as an elder. And we we were blown away by that kind of privilege and status that came with that instantly. Right. Like the day after he, we were, we boarded a private jet and we flew down to California for our elders retreat. A private jet. Goodness gracious. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, let me stop you right there and ask if someone, yeah. if someone at that time, so let's say 2006, 2007 or so at that time, if somebody were to come to you, with some skepticism about Mark Driscoll and, you know, his teachings about male headship and, and just, you know, or, or like going after Mark Driscoll pretty much theologically and just as a person, how, how would you have responded at that point? I would have defended him. Yeah. I would have said, and, and, and believe me, I've thought about this so many times. I think we craved, um, 
and appreciated being told what to do, being, being given some kind of black and white, this is the, how it looks. And this is, this is how you can follow and how you can, um, I would have defended him. I would have, some part of me would have wanted to say, but I'm not sure. But already at that point, I was, we were pretty dominated kind of by the fear of speaking out of, realizing that there were consequences to that. Um, so I, I would have, it, I, I cringe now at the way I, I would have answered then. Yeah. So, so there was early on though, something deep down saying, I, I, I think all this is legit. Like, I think this stuff is what he's teaching is, is true. Yeah. Is, yeah. I, I mean, it, there, there was, because because early on, I think there was much less of an undertone of agenda right. that came along. I, there was there was compelling, truthful, powerful, yeah, oh yeah, teaching done, and and it was transformative for our marriage, and we right. were both so, um, yeah. But I also think right about that time, as Phil became an elder, and we we popped into this next level of of, um, of leadership and, and presence and, and being seen, it, it was immediately also kind of disconcerting, like, wow, this, I never imagined this. Right. We never imagined, and we weren't ever on board with, or even aware of that we'd get to 15,000 and, you know, mega church was coming. That's, that's, that's more my flair and style, but Phil is absolutely not that guy. And so it was, it was confusing. Right. So over over time, uh, like with with eldership at at this level, or I, I don't know if at this point there were multiple campuses, but what was what was Phil's day to day involving Driscoll? Like, was he uh, uh, around him pretty regularly in, in meetings, or you know, was his position kind of more removed from Mark? Yeah. So Phil is like one of, he entered in, was like when there were 15 elders. So it was a small group at that time. We met at their house. The wives met in one spot. The guys met in the other. He was, he was around Driscoll a fair amount, but Phil and Driscoll couldn't be more different. So in fact, I think the one word of wisdom that Driscoll had from when he became an elder was, yeah, your, your issue is going to be probably not speaking up enough. Yeah. So you, you know, so think through that, but I think he also saw Phil as reasonable. In fact, he, at the end, he used that word regularly, like Phil, you're so reasonable. What's your problem? And Phil at that point just utterly pissed Phil off um, because it, it felt so, it felt like a controlling maneuver and by no means a compliment. And it, 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 that, it was not a joke. Like that sounds more like a joke. You, that was a that was a sincere cr- critique by Mark. You're so reasonable. Oh, I, yeah. Wow. <laughs> I've yeah. never I've never heard reasonable as a cut down. <laughs> right, hey, you, so, you you know what? You need to be a little less reasonable, please. We need it. Right. We need less reasoning. <laughs> but that's but that's just exactly it. Right. Phil was quiet for so long. Driscoll miscalculated him as reasonable. And in the very end, when what Driscoll hoped so much from him was this reasonableness, Phil had the truth and a fire ignited in him. He's like, don't you dare call me reasonable because this is reason and you're not listening to it. Yeah. 
Yeah. Does that make sense? It's, yeah. it's a paradox kind yeah. of. Yeah, and absolutely. it's very, very manipulative to label someone that way and expect them to stay in that role. Yeah. And sadly, Phil did for a long time. Yeah. There just, gosh, there's so many things I want to ask you. <laughs> and I also want to let you get on with your story. But at this, like, in retrospect, yes, was something like that statement, do you believe calculated. So you said manipulative. Do you think it was a calculated manipulation? Like is, is Mark Driscoll so smart because I do believe he's a very smart guy, but was he using, was he using his intelligence early on for manipulation on purpose? I can't, obviously I can only guess at that, but, um, yes. Yeah. I think because, because in, in elder meeting one, um, Phil was in was in the room and completely out of left field. Driscoll and he hadn't even spoken. Completely out of left field, Driscoll zings at him and says, "Well, they were discussing whether or not another man should be brought to the elder board." And completely out of left field, Driscoll turns on Phil and says to the elder who. Um, what did they call it? Sponsored him said, yeah. well, you bought, you brought this bill guy in and all he's, he's good for his counseling. So I think he, huh. I think he saw him as not a threat, which he, which was fine, but really not an asset necessarily right. just, um, so I, I, I don't know if it was purposeful. I believe it became more and more calculated as things continued to grow bigger and, and power inflated. Um, but I do believe early on that he th- thought through even those moves. Yeah. So I, obviously, Phil wouldn't be this guy, but was there anyone that, you know, in your opinion, was there anyone that Mark Driscoll purposely invited into his life to push back and 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 at this point say hey mark seriously dude you, you can't say stuff like that man that's that's just a little too overboard or hey mark do you think about such and such man what what this could mean i think the people you know was there anybody in his close quarters that could have those sorts of conversations in your opinion in my opinion early on one of the other founders leaf moy yeah. I think did that yeah. and then has his own story and fell away and wasn't, you know, by this time was either gone or close to gone. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you know this, but Jamie Munson is my brother. Okay. Um, I, he was super young. I mean, we, he moved out to Seattle to live with us. We introduced him to Mars Hill. Right. He was then the executive pastor for a lot of years, very close to Driscoll. I yeah. believe that Jamie actually, even though he was young and, and, you know, that's all his story to tell. But I actually do believe that Jamie provided, um, a bit of a buffer and a balance. I don't know how much Driscoll listened to him, but I believe that he wasn't, um, I think he believed that he had a role to buffer some of, some of Driscoll's, um, plans and, and delusions. (laughs) Blue Apron, check this out, can be delivered to 99% of the continental U.S. That's pretty much the whole kit and caboodle, man. It's unbelievable. So Blue Apron ships the exact amount of each ingredient required for a recipe, and they're reducing food waste. That's one thing. Blue Apron, it tastes unbelievably good. Blue Apron supports the community 
by supporting a more sustainable food system, using the highest standards for ingredients, building a community of home chefs. I mean, it's even like complimenting family time because families get together, they cook together, they talk and everything. You're not running by fast food and all that sort of thing. Now, here's what's crazy is Blue Apron, the quality of the food and the taste of the food is like going out to a fancy restaurant, except you're not paying that sort of money. So just check out some of these meals. Uh, Salmon piccata with orzo and broccoli, vegetable chili and baked sweet potatoes with crispy tortilla strips, spicy shrimp coconut curry with cabbage and rice. I mean, it's just unreal. And they can adapt these meals to your dietary restrictions if you don't eat meat. No problem with Blue Apron. So not all ingredients are created equal. Let's remember that. Fresh, high-quality ingredients make a real difference. Makes a difference what you're putting in your body. So uh, talk about uh, unbelievable food that tastes really good and is really good for you, and it comes right to your door. I can't think of a better uh, one, two, three punch. So here's the deal. If you go to blueapron.com, and you do the little slash, and then you type in Bad Christian, you are going to get three meals for free. We are giving you three unbelievable meals for free. So check out this week's menu by going to blueapron.com slash Bad Christian. Get your first three meals for free. Excellent. Uh, this is on us, guys. And it's it, for those of you that love the Bad Christian podcast, this is also helpful to us by supporting the people that support us. So go do this. Eat some eat some good food. Are you hiring? Are you looking for that right person? Because here's what I know. It is so hard to find somebody that you can trust with a job that is you know associated with you and your business. That is one of the hardest things in the world because who knows? You get a ton of applicants and where do they come from? You don't know anything. And ZipRecruiter gets rid of all that craziness. And it just makes it so easy because you can post your job in one place and everybody will see it. Because when you post your job just on one site here and there, no good. ZipRecruiter, you go to ZipRecruiter, it posts everywhere. You go one place, but everybody gets to see your job posting. And I love that about it. It's so easy to use. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to 200 plus job sites, including social media networks like Facebook and Twitter all with a single click. You don't have to go to 200 plus sites. You get to go to one site, ZipRecruiter. Find candidates in any city or industry nationwide. Just post once and watch your qualified candidates roll into ZipRecruiter. Easy to use interface. No juggling emails or calls to your office. Quickly screen candidates, rate them, and hire the right person fast. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by Fortune 100 companies and thousands of small and medium-sized businesses. And right now, our listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiters for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash first. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash first. One more time, let me say it. Try it for free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash first. Right on. And let me tell you this. These days, you can get anything. I mean, practically anything on demand. I'll give you an example. This podcast, you can get it whenever you want, wherever you are, and it's right there. You don't have to drive anywhere to get it, let's say. Let me ask you this. In a world like that, why are you still getting in your car and driving to the post office and dealing with their limited hours when you could have postage, which is an awesome thing, on demand with stamps.com. So think about it this way. Any, anything that you can do at the post office, you can now do right from your desk with stamps.com. You can buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter or package using your own computer or printer. And unlike the post office, stamps.com, 
never closes. So you can get the posters when you need it 24-7. So this is great for businesses, but it's also great for individuals. Like, imagine that. You have a little desk where you keep some paperwork and you've got envelopes stacked up at your house where you pay bills and balance your checkbook and do those things. How about you add a little tiny scale and stamps.com on your computer that's sitting right there, and you'll eliminate a ton of work and travel and trips to the post office and stuff like that. All you got to do is print the official postage right there. It's great. Uh, I like it. We've used it a ton. And right now, our listeners, if you use our promo code, Bad Christian, for the special offer, you get a four week trial, and that will include postage and the digital scale. So don't wait. Go to stamps.com. Before you do anything else, click on the radio microphone at the top of the homepage and type in Bad Christian. That's stamps.com and enter Bad Christian. Stamps.com. Never go to the post office again. Okay, let me let you get back to your story. So I think we're in 2006, 2007. People are speaking into your marriage and... Uh, yeah, I I had one of the infamous demon trials um, with Driscoll. Oh, wow. So, you tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> we could be here for hours. Yeah. Um, I am an, I, I, I'd say that I'm an easily... Um, I'm incredibly passionate and emotional. I think some of my shame comes from the fact that in some ways I'm actually quite a bit like Driscoll. Yeah. We did, we did not have the marriage where, you know, the guy was type A and kind of like Driscoll and the woman. So we always, we always had kind of conflict and a hard time finding our way. Right. I think we did very well in the end, but so I'm just struggling a lot with, um, I have had a lot of, um, physical ailments, like 18 surgeries. Our, our marriage is, is struggling. I'm, um, hearing, you know, according to the diagnostic, uh, assessment, I'm hearing voices. They must be demons. Phil is utterly skeptical, but I'm hearing from both Mark and Grace. Um, in fact, a direct word from Mark at one point, Jen, your ministry would be so powerful if you would stop believing lies. Wow. So, so seed planted, Grace told me she thought it would be a good thing. And so I'm, I'm like all on board. I want to be out of this torment. I'm let's go Phil. And it took him some months. He finally sat down with, with Driscoll and said, okay, what is this thing? I'm really skeptical. Driscoll said, do you trust me? And at that point, Phil said, yeah, I, I guess so. Let's let's do it. So right. we met for se- we met for several hours. Um, he spoke. He asked um, questions of me about generational sin, and uh, you know, I have a pretty intense story of childhood sexual abuse. Yeah. And um, he called out the demons within me, and I, I will say honestly that I. I, I think I felt like I was performing a little bit. Yeah. Um, like, okay, he's asking these questions. There must be something there. I got to go with it. Right. The nugget, the, the, the beautiful piece that came out of that for me was um, when he asked the demon, if you will, why has your plan to destroy Jen not worked right. out of my mouth? Not in, you know, my head didn't spin around and, and I didn't speak in a different voice, but yeah. out of my mouth came the words, she's not ours. Yeah. And I was like, Oh my gosh, that's since then. So it was, it, it felt like a powerful experience probably because it was the one and only time that Driscoll seemed pastoral to yeah. me. 
and we never had a pastor really at, and it was a kind and and uh pastoral moment how, how um, do you how do you reflect on that now like do you do you think that that, that was um my that was me that okay. was those were not demons speaking through me right. that was my self-hatred my you know i mean i could go into all of that but i i don't believe that i believe that it was a powerful moment and and god used it to to really help clarify some identity issues for me, but I, it was just me. Yeah. And, and I, 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 I was, um, I was, I think utterly manipulated and, and that is part of where my passion can go when it's unhealthy. Um, I felt loved by Mark. I felt special because nobody got time with Mark one-on-one for three hours or two-on-one. Right. I had another elder's wife tell me that they felt envious of that because you just didn't get time like that with Mark. Right. Now, it do you, was now do you, like crazy. W- with what you just said about his time, do you see that as more of a wise thing that, that Mark Driscoll obviously just couldn't, couldn't do it all. Or is, is that shed some negative light on his unwillingness to, to interact with people that are helping him lead the church or, you know, how do you reflect on that? I reflect on that as that Mark's Mark is a brilliant man and a excellent orator. Um, I, I don't, I don't know that I ever experienced, I don't know how much of a shepherd he is. So sure you can't do it all, but you'd think you would make sure that the people are close around you leading the church, get your time and effort. And honestly, yeah. some did, some did, but it, it, it was very strategic. We yeah. weren't, Phil was not close enough to, Phil was not enough of a mover and a shaker for Driscoll to bother with. Yeah. Ironically, I, I love this. What Phil had was relational authority and Driscoll and the other more outspoken men had positional authority. Yeah. And in gotcha. the end, Phil's relational authority um, uh, was, as my 10-year-old daughter at the time said, um, wow, mom, it kind of seems like dad was that final Jenga piece that when you pull it out, things start to crumble. And not because he or I were anything special. We spent time with people and he had relational authority. And when people saw that go down, it scared the hell out of them. Yeah, yeah, totally. Okay, so keep let's keep so moving back. forward with uh, the story. Sorry. Um, no, I'm the one getting you off on these rabbit trails. No, no, it's fine. So we were in, and Phil and I have reflected on this, 2009. So then the whole, and again, their story to tell, but the whole Petri-Meyer firing went down. Um, the bylaws were rewritten, and that's, you know, a pretty out there, you know, a pretty common, if you know the history of Mars Hill yeah. at all, that's... That's a big event. Yeah, because so 2009 is basically when he he changed the 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 church law in in a way where where he had more control and no one could fire him. I mean, is that yeah. basically the gist? Yeah, and the 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 power differential shifted from the elder board to the first among equals was a favorite phrase to be used, um, and there was a consolidation of power from you know, the number dwindled, I think from seven to five to eventually three executive elders. Wow. And we did not see, um, there was, 
that felt gross to us. And it was tragic because it was a loss of people that we loved. One of those pastors, Bent Meyer, was the one that had said to Phil, I believe you should think about eldership. Like we need, we need some men like you. Well, real quick, those last two, uh, out of those last two, did either one of them stay till the end? Uh, No. So they're gone too at some point. Oh, the, the Petri Myers. Yeah. The last two, you said that they dwindled down to two executive elders at some point. Oh, Did those three. two guys quit? Okay, three. Um, but th- th- those names morphed over time. In the end, um, it was Mark Driscoll, Sutton Turner, and Dave Bruskus. And and those two guys, did they stay with him until until the very end, supporting him? Um, yes and no. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. And and you know, it, it was a few years later. It was that. It was that. Um, Trinity, Adam, <laughs> that was yeah, the Marshall yeah. Trinity for the last three or four years. When Jamie left, um, Sutton Turner was hired. They worked together for a little while and then Jamie decided to leave and Sutton was moved into the role of executive pastor gotcha. and, and executive elder. How exposed was this, um, I don't know, political move, legal move uh, to the Mars Hill congregation how exposed was it in a negative light? Were there a lot of people thinking, huh, that that's, doesn't seem right. We don't really like this. Or was it yeah. kind of done in a way where people were manipulated into thinking it was a good move? Yeah, both and. Yeah. Um, because there were people, there were people very close to both of those um, elder couples yeah. that were utterly... Um, destroyed and and left. There was a, there was a big purging. In fact, there was also at that time, um, a decision to let's just, let's just purge the books of members and let's just have everybody re up. Yeah. Like, let's see how committed everybody is. And uh, many people left. Um, many people felt confused, but stayed. Um, is that you and Phil? Would y'all fit in that category? Yeah. 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 Coupled with this is this is becomes enters the the phase I think of self preservation. Right. Like we we love it here. There's some good things happening. It's Phil's job. He's left teaching. Right. Um, our whole world revolves around Mars Hill. Right. Um, you know, so kind of that the good outweighs the bad yep. for for quite a few years. Yep. It was it was it was painful though. Um, yep. and. We have since gone back to both of those couples um, and asked for their forgiveness and really boiled it down to, like, we just didn't love you. We didn't love you well. We were right. immature and confused. We didn't know what to do, and we decided to preserve ourselves. Yeah. So then Phil and I entered this really fruit. Phil's on staff. Um, he did do one year of lay eldership. He's on staff, and we enter this really rich, um, fun, redemptive period of time where he's the pastor over pre-marrieds. Um, ironically, we got very little premarital counsel, except for like, wow, you two are really different. Yeah. You know, and then, yeah, like good luck. And, and, and there we were. Um, so really some, some great things that happened in our marriage and we got the privilege of teaching, um, the premarital class together. We wrote a curriculum. I started, um, really kind of discovered this love of writing and I was contributing to the Mars Hill blog a lot and yeah. to resurgence. It was a, a fun and rich time. Um, 
it was a, a bit scandalous and kind of the, I, because I taught, I taught the men, right. um, in the pre-marrieds and in multiple elders meetings, several men brought up like, what's Jen, is this okay? What's Jen doing teaching men? <laughs> um, so that was, you know, that was, but Phil and I, um, I think we represented a different type of marriage than Mark and Grace did. And right. I think it actually was refreshing and helpful to people. Um, in, and, and that's what, you know, I think the feedback that we got. Yeah. Do you think Mark and Grace recognized that and uh, celebrated that? Or is that something they probably didn't even realize that you guys were kind of carrying a different DNA of marriage? Yeah. Um, I don't know that Mark necessarily recognized it. I think Mark liked that when either one of us wrote, it got lots of hits on the, on the blog or whatever. He appreciated that, but on a, on a personal level, no, I, Grace and I were friends enough that she knew, um, that I was, I I think she appreciated it. Yeah. I, I could be very wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'll let you proceed. Yeah. Um, somewhere in there. So I, I, in my timeline, I have these, some stars that are like, these are the red flags that popped up and that we suppressed. I remember watching the movie, um, 42, the Jackie Robinson movie. And there's a phrase in there about where he says, um, you need to submerge yourself to serve the greater good. Yeah. And I think I did that in particular for a lot of years because of how women were viewed and, but more and more of these issues started coming up. We went to SPU and we heard a talk on um, character versus charisma driven leaders. And we just both walked out of there just dizzied, like, holy cow, we are following a charisma driven leader with very little character. How do we, I mean, just, so that was, that was a point, the whole, um, you know, the power differential that we saw continue to shift over time. 2012-ish, more and more pastors that we respected were leaving, and the reasons for leaving were either not shared or they were spun. Um, then we saw some pastors being fired that we, um, Jamie left, and and for me, obviously, he's my brother. There was some trust there, even though outside of church and family events, Phil and, and Jamie and I never talked about Marcella. It was kind of the undiscussable topic. Yeah. Um, just more and more red flags. Um, the June, I remember it like it was yesterday, uh, June 11th, um, 2013, there was, um, a a Ballard and elders and wives meeting that the, the executive elders, the three men were invited to, and they, they came in the room and it, it just was this, it just, by that time I had such a, um, I was starting even to be done at that time, such a, and just increasing tension. And I realized I'd never met Sutton. I'd never met one of the men. And, and I knew Mark like a, you know, well, but so there's maybe 20 people in the room and I thought at least they would introduce themselves, but there was just this assumption like, well, of course, you know who we are and it doesn't really matter who you are. Yeah. And so I was, I, I, I felt agitated yeah. about it. So in true Jen flair without calculatedly not saying anything to Phil, cause I knew he would stop me. I went over to, um, the man I hadn't met Sutton, um, and, and introduced myself 
and started talking and, um, he was a little vulnerable about some things and kind of real. So I, so I, I'm, I took that as an invitation to be so also. And I said to him, um, man, we've been here a long time and we really have seen a lot of changes over the years. And at this point, I'm feeling like Mars Hill, the church and, and Mars Hill, the business are two really separate entities. Yeah. And I, I said to him, Mars Hill, the business may not need men like my husband, but Mars Hill Church certainly does. Yeah. That's such an important distinction. Yeah. And the, I had this like rush of adrenaline, like I felt very brave and bold, but I also felt scared to death. I told one of my closest friends that I'd done it and she was really like, holy cow, Jen, you, good job. I'm terrified for you. Yeah. And the next day, then the next morning, Phil received a call at home and was tongue lashed and um, accused of not keeping his household in order, told that he was reminding, I reminded uh, him of a woman at a church in Texas that was trying to take over the church. And this was huge, a problem. And there were hints that he could be fired because of his out of control wife. I mean, that. Am I missing something? That doesn't even seem out of control. Sounds like a uh, somewhat of a wise assessment. But but that's but that was not welcome. Right. That was not. I two things. I will admit. Um, I can have a bit of a savior complex, and I'm kind of a wordsmith. So I yeah. I think a lot of my head. Like if I could just say this to this person, I, I I'm sure they'd see the light. Right. So there was that motivation for me a tiny bit. Yeah. I, I own that. Um. There was probably so probably I guess you can flat out call that pride. Um, I also believe that there was some, some real courage and bravery in that to say what I was feeling. And this, I mean, mind you, this is a place that I loved. We'd been, we dedicated so much of our adult lives to it. And I'm not the kind of person who will go away quietly. Right. So, and my timing was bad. I, I I will admit that too. My timing was bad because the three executive elders after eating some pizza were going up on stage to address the Ballard gotcha. uh, congregation. So my timing was not good, right. but I did not yell at him. I right. didn't, I spoke the truth. Right. Gotcha. gotcha. Um, and so was that, uh, was that Mark that called and talked to Phil? No. Okay. No, it was Sutton. Gotcha. Gotcha. And, and, and again, to this day, I've never spoken in person to Sutton Turner besides that moment. Yeah. But, but that kicked off a year long, um, a year long restoration slash discipline process for me. Yeah. I was immediately sidelined from all teaching and writing. Um, and, and I will, I will just frankly say that my, my writing was often, more well-read than Mark's. It was often, I believe, strategically, or at least for me, it was a pride thing. It was often um, backed, like sandwiched between things Mark had written that I believe felt like, uh, here's a woman who Mark is okay with using her voice. And I I, I don't know, I felt very used in a lot of that. Yeah. Um, And maybe that's maybe that's Stephanie's issue, but that's another story. So you and you and uh Sutton's lack of communication is that is that on you is that on him is that I mean was there just no attempt either way um oh I mean that morning 
the, the, the phone call and Phil hung up just utterly, um, terrified of losing his job and, and, and angry at kind of the light that I was cast in. Yeah. It kicked, it kicked off this email text loop between, um, the lead pastor of Ballard, who yeah. was Phil's boss and the three, at least two of the three executive elders talking about my sin of, of ministry idolatry, um, that I just needed, I needed to be silenced and backed away from, um, I was allowed to send an email of repentance, uh, to Sutton and I did. Um, and, but there was just this indefinite, you may not represent Mars Hill church in any way. Um, in fact, a personal dinner invitation that I had with Elise Fitzpatrick from her canceled, not by me. Who's that? Um, Elise Fitzpatrick is an author who's written, okay, um, gotcha. yeah, bunch of bunch of books. Yeah. Um, and what what did just, you mean a second ago by you were allowed to send an email of repentance? I did they tell you otherwise? I wanted. Did they tell you otherwise not to? I I wanted to. No, they told me that that's what I could do. I wanted to speak to him. I wanted to do gotcha. something okay, to make gotcha. this right. And what was allowed was you may send an email gotcha. if you feel like you want to repent. Um, and then Bill Clem will be in charge of your discipline and restoration plan. Gotcha. And so for months and months, I I sat in this silence. So what was so hard is it, it really was all consuming. It was a desert for me. And right. I believe it was... An, utter grace from God to just put me because I was, I was grappling through and wrestling through a lot with him. Right. And he, you know, there, there probably was some ministry idolatry, but just the, the fact that it was now, ne- I was never once except for at my uh, behest spoken to by any of those men. Yeah. I had to make through Phil uh, correction. Phil had to make a request for an appointment um, so that we could talk it through because a year of, no, you may not do ministry. No, you may not do ministry. I was asked multiple times by other women in the church at this time. There's many campuses. I've taught at most of them. Can Jen come? No, she can't. Well, why? Well, just because, yeah. um, I was, I was really, I felt like one of the, you know, the dirty separated lambs or goats that's yeah. outside of the, outside of the camp. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, we had, we had some convert. We set up a meeting with Dave. We set up, Phil ended up meeting with Sutton. I actually didn't want to. Yeah. Um, and then we ultimately had a meeting with Driscoll because about uh, 11 months, all of a sudden it was like, oh, you're fine. You can, yeah, go teach, go, go write. We, we want you. Right. But I took it so seriously when they pulled that privilege and that, um, because I saw it as, a really weighty responsibility and a leadership role. Right. And when they pulled it from me and then just kind of cavalierly said, Oh no, you're fine. I, I I wasn't willing to go back into that without looking those men in the eyes, at least the two that knew me and say, do you really trust me? Is this really okay? Right. And what I learned is that it had consumed a year of my life and none of them, they barely remembered doing it. Wow. I mean, so it was, I see it as a total gift from God. It, it really strengthened me yeah. and allowed me to withstand what happened a year later when Phil was fired. Um, 
and be much more unified with Phil. Phil and I were at serious odds right. for that whole year. Because uh, he was, yeah, go ahead. Well, how was that? Did he kind of see their perspective and thought you were out of hand? No. Okay. He didn't want to, he knew that if he really spoke up hard and challenged it, which he did with, with Bill Clem, his right. boss, but he knew if he challenged it hard, he would, we'd be gone. Wow. Um, and he will admit passivity in that, but also just the reality of, he knew the climate better than I, yeah. he said, I'm sorry, Jen, but t- you got to realize this is just not all that important to them. Right. It's it's not a big deal, and they're not going to take their time on it. And meanwhile, I, I'm really kind of feeling all the shame and suffering and silence, and people are asking me where I've gone, and I can't say much. This this total culture of shame and blame and secrecy. It was an incredibly difficult year, and yeah. probably the year I grew the most. All right. So how how what what happens between now and and Phil getting fired? Um. I remember the day that the scales fell off of Phil's eyes. I was done. I was almost, almost begging him to just leave. It was so uncomfortable. Um, and at this point, was there a lot, you know, cause Matt, Matt Carter, my buddy who was super involved at, at Mars Hill, he was, you know, talking a, a good bit about it because that, a lot of his heart was invested him and his wife. And yeah. so he was telling me, man, you just, you would not believe such and such who just left, you know, they were just names to me, but then he would describe their role. And he's just like, you don't know how big of a deal this is. So at, at this point in which you're narrating, uh, had a lot of people left, like a lot of key people left. Yes. Okay. And people, people were confused and it was just a very heavy time. Yeah. Um, the average, probably the average, not average, but just your regular attender depending on how long they'd been there and what they'd seen and heard, they varied from, you know, completely supportive and in the dark of anything strange going on to questioning every sermon and every week and agonizing over this decision about whether to leave or stay and watching people like Mike Wilkerson and Phil Smith, the, the real shepherds that they'd come to known for years, watching to see whether or not those guys are leaving. Yeah. Yeah. Phil, Phil wasn't Mike left somewhere in that spring, um, which, which certainly made people question. But again, with that relational authority thing, they're like, well, Smith's still here. So something's got, you know, let's just see what happens. February of 14, the news broke about the fact that the, um, real marriage book had been, you know, whatever is the true story there. We didn't know about it. I, we didn't know about the contract to, game or the New York Times bestseller list, or we just didn't know about any of that. We did know that we didn't like the book Real Marriage, that it was a very awkward place for us as the pre-married people to not even want to recommend it. Um, And, you know, so again, not subversively, but just honestly, we're kind of leading our charge and doing our thing at Ballard, um, you know, and ministering to dozens and hundreds of couples and watching the gray cloud above us turn more ominous and figuring out what to do. We were, we were sitting in the back of the Ballard, um, listening to a teaching on church conflict actually, um, by a woman, which was a beautiful and completely different move waiting on pins and needles for the letter that was coming out from Mark. 
yeah. the the news had broken and this letter um, from Mark was supposed to be coming to the elders. And then, so we're sitting there waiting on pins and needles for it, this letter of addressing the issue, this letter of repentance. So it pops into Phil's inbox. He reads it. And I'm, I remember trembling, thinking, please let there be something real in there. Like, please let this take a, tur- a turn. Yeah. I leaned over to Phil and I said, give me a word, just one word to describe it. Cause I couldn't read it right then. And he leaned over to me and he said, is bullshit one word or two? <laughs> so that was, I saw literally within 24 hours, a fire and a conviction. Phil is a man who doesn't speak much, but when he finally gets to a point of, I cannot live with myself and do nothing less. Yeah. Um, that switch flipped that day. Yeah. We committed um, to, we went away for a weekend. And again, this is my husband's long suffering nature. He said, Jen, we're staying till Veterans Day. Yeah. Veterans Day is in November. Um, my dad fought in World War II. He fought ground combat and I can't leave now. I cannot leave the people and not fight the war with my eyes fully open. I, I can't do it. We will right. stay till November and we will see what happens. Right. And he began being um, unreasonable Phil. Yeah. And he w- pointed out errors. <laughs> he regularly brought up um, just, you know, I don't go into all the details, but just concerning sermons and messages and elders meetings. And it just on and on. He was like the redemption. He called himself the redemptive pain in the ass. <laughs> and um, I mean, I would imagine it's uh, like for for him, it had to have been either I go this route or I will go insane or I have to quit this second. I mean, yeah. I, I guarantee you there was no way he could carry himself any other way. Right. But the other mantra in in his head was, I'm not. Why would I quit? Right. I'm not the one who needs to quit. Right. So he so he he's German and he, <laughs> you know, and that sheds, that out. sheds a lot of light because I'm sorry for interrupting. That sheds no, a no. lot, a lot of light on, you know, cause, cause it would be easy being outside of Mars Hill thinking, why are there people still hanging around there still on staff supporting this guy? You know, are they just doing it for a paycheck or are they, you know, what, what, what are they doing? But my gosh, sp- First of all, if you have a pastoral heart, you don't want to leave the people that you love and have been taken care of. And then secondly, I mean, that's a perfect point that you just said. I mean, why would I leave? Why? Right. I, I'm not doing anything wrong. Like somebody yeah. else needs to leave, not me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I will say it was just pure agony for both of us for yeah. many, many months because yeah. we saw this thing that we loved and, and we both kept saying the story is often that it doesn't turn out well. And we were just hoping and maybe idealistically grasping for a, a different ending, right. a redemptive ending that we could be a part of. And it just didn't happen. Yeah. So, yeah. um, in May of 2014, after, um, unrelentingly pushing on, on some content that Driscoll over a couple of weeks had preached on, um, he Phil broke the hierarchy, which is you always can only speak to your next yeah. above supervisor. He broke the hierarchy and emailed a, one of the executive elders and said, "Who who is holding Driscoll responsible for these words coming from the stage?" And he got the, "Have you talked to your Have you talked to your local supervisor about this?" Right. 
And that local supervisor that night came to his office and said, you got a decision to make. You either have got to pledge allegiance in writing um, to kind of basically mark the executive elders, whatever, or you're, you're just not on the team. And is that your choice of words or did they actually say pledge allegiance? Um, I can't. Right. No, it it was more a, um, we need a statement of trust. At this point, it was so much about trust. And there was a lot of imputed trust, like, because if your boss is trusting their boss, then that means you need to trust their boss also. Right, right. Imputed trust. It was maddening. All right. So your husband, longest standing member along, you know, with, with, with you, 10 year employee and basically was given that decision. And what, what did he respond with? Um, he said, I'm, I, I, I'm not, I mean, I think it was then where they're like, well, I, I'm really not the one who needs to leave. Right. He, that was a Wednesday. There was a, a series of a couple meetings with his, with his supervisor. Um, he texted me on a Sunday and he said, Jen, I, I think he was feeling overwhelmed. Like this is our community. This is our church. This is all our friends. This is our paycheck. This is our life. Right. I'm, wa- I'm, I'm wa- waffling on this. I know. What do you think? I want to care for you and our family. And I texted, I texted back four words that galvanized us and that forever in our marriage will cause us to chuckle. I texted him back and I said, make them fire you. Yeah. And because I was like, I, I, we've come this far. Yeah. And why would we back down yeah, now? I don't great. know. It's so it was, and he will say that he saw a strength in me that week that, um, really, you know, there, there was, it was beautiful. We yeah. worked together in a way, but I think had I not gone through the stripping of kind of my ego and my Mars Hill love, the, yeah. The year prior, I don't know that I could have done that. So yeah. uh, it was, it was yeah. cool. Um, in the end, we wouldn't have, we would never would have left the people. So we see it in some ways as I was sitting in the back of the Ballard building. So he's been fired two days later. He's in the middle of teaching classes, counseling couples, um, told he cannot come back. He cannot speak to any of them. They just get, all of that just gets ceased in a day. Two days later, they said, come pack up your office. And that morning he was going to go. And I said, I am coming with you. Yeah. I'm like, I want to support you. And we sobbed for probably three hours packing books and packing his office that he'd yeah. been in for years and years. And I went downstairs into the auditorium, the sanctuary, and it was pitch black. And there was one, one door to the upstairs open and light was flowing into it. My and I, I just really felt like God was saying, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm. Here's the light, and I'm, I am asking you to walk out the door. Yeah. And it was, it was His grace because we wouldn't have done it. We had to have been removed. Yeah. Because I don't know. Yeah. I tr- I tremble thinking about that day. It was the pastor who fired Phil sat in the other room and and didn't come speak with us at all. Yeah. Um, Mark or, or Grace at this point, she had cut me out of her life after the, the incident where I dared, I dared to speak to one of the three. So, um, I mean, I, if I pause for a moment, I will, it, it was the hardest day of our lives. Yeah. 
It was brutal. Yeah. Um, You invested everything. Yeah. And we couldn't even go to church that Sunday. My kids had never known. So it's one of the points as a, as a woman that I've really wanted to address and why, um, there was always this idea of oneness and that the man was the head and you guys, you know, this woman, all the women always needed covering and protection because angry, forceful men at Mars Hill were adored and embraced yeah. and emotional mouthy women were not. Wow. And I mouthy is like, I, I'm actually strike that from the record. Smart, smart, outspoken, thinking, emotional women were not. Right. And so that was rough, but we went, yeah. I mean, that, that, that falls to me in the same category of the disgust of seeing a dude that gets around as like a, 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 a player and, 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 but a girl that sleeps around as a slut. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're both doing the same thing. <laughs> Why right. does one and, of them get props and the other one gets scorned upon? Well, holy cow, you just like tapped into a whole other vein too then of, it was so, I have so many snippets of things that I started to write as I was feeling all this angst. And one of them was women were not an afterthought. Yeah. And just that feeling of, it was so hard to be a strong woman in a church that prided itself on being a manly man's church. Right. It was brutal. So in, in fact, this is probably a whole nother conversation. I listened to partially one of your podcasts a while back where you had, you know, really well-spoken smart guy on that had written a book about men leaving the yeah. church or whatever. Yeah. And it, um, while I agreed with some of it, it very much stirred up in me um, a lot of the same rhetoric that I heard that left women really in a bad place at Marcel. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, and, and even that point you just, you just made about being a woman who had had a past and a, and a sexual past and, you know, both promiscuous and sexual abuse. And then you're yeah. in this culture where, where, you know, outspoken, arrogant men are appreciated and, but those type of women are a danger and clearly the man doesn't have his household in order. Right. It, it was just this constant confusion for me as a woman. And then as a visible leader, always feeling like, when are they going to figure out that I'm dangerous in yeah. this, in this position? So, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, you, you will, <sighs> uh, you will sense the sarcasm in this question, but <laughs> so you guys, how, how did they celebrate y'all's years at Mars Hill and send you off with a farewell party? Um, they didn't. Well, of course, like everything I've said, there's a bit of a story. They were, when Phil was fired, he was told he would be given severance. So when he went to his exit interview, um, that was happened with an intern, um, at Mars Hill, uh, corporate offices, you know, we'd been there for 20 years and the intern is sent in with Phil and, um, to say, okay, so we're going to give you severance slides, a piece of paper across the table and says, just sign this first. Yeah. And it said, I, you know, uh, the non-disclosure stuff that's been brought into the light, probably the biggest for Phil being I'm, I'm leaving Mars Hill with no conflict. And he's like, are you kidding me? I, I was fired. I'm not signing that. Yeah. So it was a refusal to sign and, a okay, sorry, you, that, you know, that means you're walking away from severance. And he said, yep. Golly. So we had no savings. We had no income and 
we drove home with our minivan full of 10 years of books and <sighs> contents from his from our time there and we didn't know what we were going to do yeah. but we knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that we could not take that money yeah some friends of ours contacted us the next day and said just trust us um we want to love you guys we want to help you guys and we were utterly in physical and emotional shock and yeah. trauma we were numb and Phil's like, no way. Like, I, I don't know. And he, the friend said, please trust us. Please let us do this. Yeah. And so Phil's thinking, sure, if we get $1,000 to, you know, buy some groceries for a month to figure stuff out, great. Uh, they set up a GoFundMe that went live Sunday morning, June 1st. Prior to that, we had a knock on the door and someone handed us $1,600 cash and some flowers and people were showing up at our door and news was traveling. Um, and we, we didn't even know what Go, GoFundMe was. We weren't even looking at it, but we started getting all these texts like your account is at 15 grand. It's at 20 grand. It's at 25 grand. And wow. Phil and I both said, please, like, please don't text us this. We can't even handle this. Cause it was such grace in the midst of such grief. And we didn't know what to do with it. And we just, we just said, please don't, we can't. Yeah. And by the end of 48 hours, they closed the account because it was it was at over fifty thousand dollars, and we didn't yeah. we we couldn't we didn't even know what to do with that. We didn't, uh, but it was so overwhelming. Um, and there were hundreds. Honestly, to this day, I haven't been able to read what people wrote to us on the GoFundMe site because it's like such a solidification of the loss. Yeah. But it, I mean, and Phil keeps going, Jen, just read it. And because it's amazing, there were hundreds of people that, that we just, I'm sorry, that we just, that we loved, that we opened our home to. Phil never married a couple without us having them at least into our home. And they'd walk to the door and they'd be like, they'd act all starstruck because they'd seen us on stage. And I'm like, Oh my goodness. It's I'm so glad you're here because we're just us. We are nothing special. And Mars Hill. Um, now I missed some details in there about, you know, them still getting called and saying, please reconsider, please think of your family, reconsider signing this document so you can get severance. Yeah. And Phil's like, forget it. And right. The GoFundMe closed. We'd between it and cash that we'd been given, we were probably at sixty thousand dollars. And that night, Mars Hill um, released a statement saying that they were going to pay Phil severance. Really? Yeah. Wow. Um, so you guys were were at a at a decent place at that point, as far as not being not thinking. I mean, you didn't have to worry about the thoughts of what are we going to do right now. Like you you were okay. Gosh, we were almost to the to within a few thousand dollars of one year annual salary yeah. that Phil received from Mars Hill. Yeah. I mean, it, in that beautiful though, when you, th- uh, obviously that's a, that's a given, but if you think about how a church on the outside was dissolving and how uh, y'all's hearts were breaking and yet you, you cannot destroy community. Uh, like you cannot destroy love be- between people. No. I mean, that, that's just, you look up Mars Hill Church and it there is a beginning and an end now and yet there's 
family and community and friendships that is never going to be put to rest. I mean, that's just, it's beautiful. Oh, absolutely. And it's overwhelming having been there from the beginning and being a leader. There was this real um, sense, I mean, I knew and more accurately was known because I was kind of visible. Um, Thousands of people, it wasn't sustainable, but there was, it was still very beautiful. And, but there was also in my thinking about it, you know, it was, it was unsustainable to um, feel like you could be connected with or or follow hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. It was humanly impossible. It was one of the setups of Mars Hill. You cannot say, I love you on a screen to 15,000 people and have that be real love. We had a distorted, in some ways, there was real beautiful community and love that existed. And then there was also this very self-serving talk of love that, um, that was quite shallow and, 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 um, selfish. Yeah. So, but I'm, please don't hear that I'm taking away from the point that the, the, like the church, the body of Christ, brothers and sisters did their thing and we loved and, and, and I think that's why to this day, I, I, I still haven't read and I'm going to soon. I still haven't read those words because it will be such a um, moment of grieving and gratitude both. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, real quick, what what uh what are you guys doing right now for income? Um, Phil was unemployed for sixteen months. I went back to work right away because yeah. I went back to work. I hadn't worked in twenty years. Um, and a Mars Hill couple uh, hired me to be a receptionist. Nice. Uh, Phil looked for work. Um, and finally went back to teaching. He's a special ed teacher, and he's damn good at it. Awesome. Um, really amazing. He, he jokes often the you know, his classroom is seven autistic students and, um, it's no less important to God. He misses teaching. He, he misses being a pastor. It's still a a very, very difficult point for him. And I work at a school too on, I, I moved from my first job to working at a school so that we could have the same schedule so that we could have some margin in our life. And so that we could create a life that didn't have to constantly be talking about Marcel. Yep. We have two kids and we have two boys in college. We have a girl, um, a daughter at a freshman at the local public school, um, that we did on purpose. Like we're living outside the bubble, yeah. um, and figuring out life. Yeah. Um, well, la- the last question I have for you is, you know, so I, I'm, I'm looking at it right now, the Trinity church.com and you know, it's, it's Mark Driscoll's new church seems to be you know, doing fairly well, what, what would you have to say or, or answer this any way you want? What sort of emotions do you feel towards leaders in capital C church? So, you know, uh, leaders all over the nation, maybe world that has given Mark Driscoll the thumbs up, supported him financially basically said, yeah, man, we're, we're all for it. Let's, let's, let's get you back going. You know, we need you in ministry. So the door's open. Let's, let's get this thing done. Like here, this guy that, that we've been, you know, talking about and the, the church experience that you guys have had, he's, he's leading a church now. Yeah. Wow. I mean, a, a massive array of emotions. Um, I, I probably a year ago, I would have answered anger, um, 
is, is what I feel about it. And I, I watched a couple of the intro videos and I just couldn't do it. Um, today I feel sadness and I feel, um, a really burgeoning, um, commitment to speaking the truth and, and to, to reconciliation. Yeah. I asked for a meeting with Mark and Grace. I wrote them a letter. Um, I was told that because Phil was involved in the signing of the charges of the 21 elders, that because my husband um, breached his end of the deal, basically, that I'm sorry for you, Jen, as the wife who has to bear this terrible burden but um, and be alone in this, but we can't meet with you because your husband um, didn't hold up his end of the bargain. I, once again, just not treated as a human, not right. That's that sounds secret society. That doesn't sound like yeah. friendship. I mean, do, like, do you think deep down inside? I mean, the only thing that I can think of to to try to give them the benefit of the doubt is, do they think that having a conversation with you would hold back progress of what God wants to do in ministry. I obviously don't believe that, but do you think that's what they're thinking? Like, no, we got to keep going forward. There's too much opposition. The devil's against us and we just got to keep going. We can't talk to, you know, people that have signed that their spiritual implications. I mean, I, I, I think that's, I think that's all pretty accurate. Um, yeah, but I think it's so antithetical to the gospel and to, yes that I, I just cannot stomach it. And I, I, I won't, um, I won't stop hoping for, I used to honestly have so many dreams and nightmares at night, but the dreams, the good ones were like from up above this visual of seeing, um, in this secrecy of night. And then the dawn came of, of, um, elder couples walking into Mark and Grace's old house. And I never saw the inside, but there's just this feeling of, what you mean? We're actually talking, right? We 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 aren't just leaving it at this. And you know what? There are. I, I I told you. I don't know if it was when we were recording or not. I told you that I really truly believe our country is so divided. Reconciliation is a term that is straight from the Bible, and I think it's pathetic and grievous and sad and cowardly of us as Christians that. We can't meet in a room and talk about this. There was never the opportunity at Mars Hill to pause, pray, and look back and rejoice and grieve at what went well and what didn't go well. It yep. was always a pressing forward, and it's so arrogant and unrealistic. And at this point, I, I feel conflicted. Of, oh, Mars Hill was so long ago. And then I come back to this place of— right why are we not talking about this? Why is the big church C church not talking about this? I'd love more than anything to have 10 minutes with one of the pastors in Texas that has just to say, can you help me understand? Can you hear from me? Um, I'd like to do that of some of my very good friends that are pastors at some of the, you know, replants out of Mars Hill. Why are we not truly and humbly admitting what was great and terrible about Marcel because the world looks at it and just scoffs or laughs or rejoices in, well, there's just another story of a fucked up church. Do you think, uh, you know, from, uh, let's get real spiritual here. Do you think Mark Driscoll needs repentance? Like, would you have any problem with saying in my best calculation, my best assessment, assessment, 
the dude needs that. Um, I wouldn't, I, I won't say that yep. because I believe that is between he and God. Yeah. I will say that there are destroyed relationships, that there are damaged hearts, that there are hurting people that he and Grace walked away from here. And I believe it would show a truly changed man and woman and um, a true heart of the gospel if they actually would, whether in private or publicly, and because I am who I am, I would prefer it to happen and then be spoken to the world that they would, that they, that, that we could come together as the family of God and figure some stuff out. Yeah. Yeah. The phrase, I hate the phrase post Marcel of someone's in sin. Like, are you kidding me? We're all, we're believers. We're, we're in Christ, but we're also in sin. When people pull that phrase out, I just, I I just want to vomit. But, um, yeah. So yeah, those, those are, those are some of my thoughts and I don't know what my part in it is. Um, and Phil and I have different ideas about that, but I am kind of done with, um, being silent. And I, I have a part to own in this too. So, well, uh, fortunately and unfortunately, I would say fortunately, like the, the, the role that you guys as, as people who can speak with, experience and credibility about what went on, you know, at Mars Hill, that is a, a worthy role just to be able to speak because I think it gives a voice to, you know, other people that are hurt and, uh, and, and just opens the door for people to understand, maybe even gives some lessons to all of us. But then I would say, unfortunately, what could be done by you guys speaking out is always going to be limited by what other people are willing to receive and and do on behalf. Like to me, it's the most insane thought ever that you guys, Phil, Jen, and the list goes on, are not the ones that people are talking to in order to assess whether or not this guy can lead a church. I mean, that that to me is the most devastating thing about all of this is that the, the people that were on the very inside of leading Mars Hill Church are the ones that were not talked to. I mean, yeah. it, it, unless unless I'm off, I don't think any any of those people, any of those leaders and elders, their opinions weren't weighed out with with this. And and to, that's that's arrogance at at the highest level for someone you know, a big shot pastor to be able to say, yeah, I've made my assessment and he's, he's fit for ministry again. I mean, that just blows my mind, but that's my little soapbox. <laughs> no, I, I appreciate it. it it's <clears throat> validating because I vacillate between, well, who am I, Right. you know, at, to dang it. I lived it. Right. I, I, for good and for bad, I saw it and, and I participated and I, you know, I mean, I sent you that that kind of article that I wrote about my yeah. repentance. And even since then I've been like, but I tend to over own things. Like yeah. I want to own my part, but when other people won't, I it's just, I don't know. I'm, I'm truly baffled at this point in my journey. Um, the mystery of God is far more vast to me yeah. and the mystery of God's people is far more vast yeah. to me also in a very, um, painful and hopeful way. Right. Awesome. Well, Jen, thanks. 
I really do appreciate it. I think it's, uh, I think it's good, uh, that more people are open. So appreciate it. Absolutely. Take care, Joey. Thanks. Awesome. Thank you. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com. Shh.